Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, October 5th, we're studying Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 17. Moses speaks a blessing upon Israel before he dies. Today's text includes his blessing upon the tribes of Reuben, Judah, Levi, Benjamin, and Joseph. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Bernie Shea. Pastor Shea serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dimebox, Texas. Pastor Shea, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Pastor Apple. Happy to happy to be here again. I wanted to make sure we specified it's Old Dimebox so that you don't go looking yeah. for Trinity in New Dimebox. Yeah, yeah. The people in New Dimebox get kind of irate when you confuse <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, Pastor Shea, it's great to have you with us again. We're looking at Deuteronomy 33, the first part of the chapter today. As we prepare to do so, uh, what should we know about the book of Deuteronomy, the context leading up to Deuteronomy 33? We're toward the end of the book, I know. How do we want to approach this text? Yeah, that's a good. Thanks Thanks for asking, because I, I do want to do some introductory, um, um, uh, introductory work. Uh, it... Um, I'm just, it's great to get into the text as, um, in, in this way. Deuteron- Deuteronomy is the fifth of the first five books of the Bible. Call those five books the Pentateuch, you know, the, the cutting of the five. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that's my, my Greek is a little rusty and my Hebrew is a little rusty too. But, but we have those first five books. And um, these are the, the I'm, I'm in the next to last chapter of the final book, Deuteronomy. And... What, what I'd like to do is, um, well, you know, I was going through this and I thought of a story, seriously, that uh, uh, oh, a seminary student was in a library um, reading reading the Bible and a professor walked by and noticed that and he said, what are you reading there? And the student said, oh, the Bible. He goes, oh, really? He goes, I hear that sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. And uh, the joke there is that, you know, just sometimes you forget the commentaries, just just get into the text and and spend some time with it, wrestle with it. And so that's what I've tried to do. Um, one of the things I'd like to say to begin with is that it, I, I was an English major in college and I've never lost my love for great literature. Mm. I don't have to be an English major to love great literature, but, but one of the wonderful things about this section and so many other parts of Holy Scripture as the is the the vivid imagery in this case that Moses gives us it's it's truly quite grand and I did have a a teacher once a professor who said uh, quote while the scriptures are often far more than great literature they are never less and it's quite true you, yeah. you see this great great imagery especially in the Old Testament and it's not that the New Testament doesn't have it um, well um, 
having said that, that there's some great imagery here to describe in this case, not specifically the sons of Jacob, but the tribes of Jacob, because we're dealing almost, we're, we're this, this takes place almost 500 years after uh, um, the, the, after the, the Israelites got to Egypt. But let's put that on hold for a minute. And what I'd like to say to you is this, at, a, uh, at any high school or college graduation slash commencement exercise, uh, when the ceremony begins, and I, you know, I don't know how common this is anymore, but one often hears a salutatorian, a student who gives the welcome to the formal proceedings and salute, you know, salutation means, hi, how are you? How's everybody doing? Here's why we're at this place. Here's what we're about to do. And then later on in the ceremony, you hear another student who as the valedictorian gives the farewell. And that's, that's what a valedictor valedictory address means. It's a farewell. So today's reading is a valedictory address or better, a valediction. It's a goodbye. It's a farewell. Um, it's a goodbye, farewell at the end of the, the five books of Moses, but it's also Moses saying goodbye to the who knows how many millions of Israelites there were by that time. Um, uh, Moses, oh, there was a, let me throw this in, an English major factoid. There's a, one of my favorite poets is a guy named John Donne, D-O-N-N-E, and he wrote a poem to his wife. He was leaving, he, he was English, he lived in London, and um, he was about to leave for the continent, leaving for France. And he wrote a poem to his wife, and it's called A Valediction Forbidding Morning. Because, you know, he didn't take the channel in those days, you didn't take an airplane, you, you had to take some kind of a barge across the English Channel, and you were going to be gone for a few months. And it, they were both pretty broken up about it so um, he wrote this poem and he, he compared this goodbye to a kind of a death he forbade mourning and uh, he he said no don't cry her name was Anne, his wife and uh, i don't know if you hear that so much here in, in deuteronomy <laughs> it's not moses saying don't cry i'll be back soon <laughs> he wasn't back soon <laughs> he, he was going to die <laughs> we'll hear more about that in a few minutes but but he he definitely did say okay this is it yeah. this is a fiction and by the way i would recommend that poem to a valediction forbidding morning it's a goodbye and it's 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 also a benediction because in this section and i don't i'm not going to cover all the verses because uh, i just have what is it one through 17 yeah um there, there's no there's very little condemnation and there's no condemnation of the israelites and uh, so chapter three of Deuteronomy is a combination of a valediction and a benediction. And what I'd like to do also is uh, I'd sort of like to parallel today's reading with at least a couple of other ones. And for the, the most prominent of those is Genesis 49. Right now in Genesis 49, I'm sure you've seen it. But I'm guessing your other uh, um, other Bible commentators have drawn that parallel already. And uh well, that, that's another valediction. But this time, it's Jacob, the patriarch, who is saying goodbye. He's on his deathbed, or soon to lay, lie upon his deathbed, mm. to each of his 12 sons. As I said before, about 500 years has passed between this, because I added another 40. Uh, you know, they're in 
the Israelites were in Egypt 430 years, give or take, and another 40 years Moses led them there. Right. Around the wilderness for a while, so that it's up to about 500 years. So Jacob is talking to each of his sons in particular. Moses is talking to each of the sons of Jacob. Only each of the sons of Jacob are uh, Jacob are long dead, and their tribes, their clans are are, are very large. So um, I'm going to compare those uh, when we come to each of these 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 guys. Uh, the tone is different and the landscape is different. When I say landscape, yeah, I mean physical landscape, but also the situation is different. So uh, the other passages I'd like to parallel here to are, um, I don't know if this occurred to anybody else, but the seven churches of Asia Minor in uh, hmm. the Revelation St. John the Divine, uh, Revelation 2 and 3. Um, that was a bit of a farewell. You know, he was a, John was pretty, clear in his condemnation of the bad things that were going on there. And then also uh, a parallel, not with condemnation or blessing or anything, is um, the fact that the 12 sons of Jacob are linked with the 12 apostles in Revelation 21, 12 to 14. And then back in, uh, oh, what is it, Revelation 7, uh, the 144,000 are you know, 12,000 from the tribe of Jacob, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, and so on. So, Okay. So, uh, okay. No, that sounds good. I like it, Pastor Shea. One of the things I, I want to point out, just yeah. a couple things you said early on, sure. that the you know, we've got a sure. lot of vivid imagery, very grand imagery right here. That makes sense yeah. because we are dealing with poetry. As you can see in the text, it's set off in poetic types. So we've got poetry. Makes a lot of sense. You're going to have a lot of imagery there. And then the the comparison that, that you want to draw between this text and Genesis 49, I think is mm -hmm. is helpful. And just a, a it's it's striking in Genesis 49, you know, that is Jacob, the father, blessing right. his his sons. I mean, you can picture them there in front of him, these, these 12 sons of him. Here you've got Moses, as you said, not blessing the sons, but the tribes. But mm -hmm. I think you, I, I think in putting those two texts side by side, you see the role of Moses as a, a father to these people, not, not in yep. the biological sense, but yeah, in the sure. sense that he's been leading them for 40 years, and now he blesses them as a father would. It it goes again, I think, to put some uh, some flesh on the on the picture here. That you know, this is not just a bunch of dry sermons that Moses has been preaching for. Now in, we're in the thirty third chapter, but this is is one who is viewing the people in front of him as his own children. He loves them, and now before he departs, he gives them this valediction, this benediction, and it, it really just I think goes to show the love that Moses surely has for this people of Israel, even as he's had to speak some very harsh words to them, he loves them and he he wants them to hold on to the word of God. And now he blesses them in that love that he has for them. And of course, the love that God has for them throughout. So I, that, I think all that's a very helpful introduction. You ready to, to go ahead and read the text or did you, do you have more well, to say? If you don't mind, and if we have time, I, I, I don't, did you start at Deuteronomy 1? We started at Deuteronomy 1. I've, okay. I've I've been friends with Moses for a couple months now. It's been great. Okay. okay. Well, let me. If I could, if this was helpful to me. If I don't, if I could, real quickly review the last four or five chapters. And I, I don't say review. I'm not going to talk a lot. I'm just the content of 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, and 32. Can I just real briefly? Can I run us through it? About? All right. Deuteronomy 27. Six tribes stand on Mount Gerizim to receive blessings. 
six tribes stand on Mount Ebal for to receive curses. And the curses and the commands are spelled out, right? Chapter 28, the actual blessings and curses. 29, the renewal of the divine covenant with warnings about disobedience and recitation of God's leadership, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Chapter 30, after inevitable exile. Now, Moses is a realist. He says, I'm warning you guys, you're not going to listen to me. And after inevitable exile from the promised land, the Lord God will certainly restore and forgive Israelites. And he calls them to choose life and good or death and evil. He said, you guys, it's your choice. Chapter 31, Joshua is commissioned to lead. God teaches Moses a song. And of course, the song is uh, chapter 32. This in chapter 32 is the hymn, a song or a canticle of God's deeds among his own people. No individual tribes are named in chapter 32. And you, you must have just done this a week or two, or a few days ago. And specifically um, vivid is uh, the rain and dew imagery likened to the words and teachings of the Lord. So like an Isaiah 55 parallel. In this chapter, in 32, which is right before the one we're, talk, we're going to talk about today, uh, verses 15 and 32 to 38 are really harsh law. Now, 33 is all blessing, but in 32, he really uh, broadsides them. But he concludes the chapter with, in verse 43 with a promise. Oh, well, close to the, the canticle, rather. Uh, in fact, let me read that real quick. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. <clears throat> He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. And then finally, uh, in fact, uh, about that canticle, verse chapter 32, both in Lutheran service book and the Lutheran hymnal, canticles are in there uh, with the first words of chapter 32. Uh, Hear, O heavens, and drop down my words like dew and so on and so forth. Well, so I guess we're ready if with my 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 little interludes, if he, we could go on with chapter 33 now the valediction benediction would you uh let's read yeah let's read so we're we've got deuteronomy 33 verses 1 to 17 i'll read the right. text you're gonna read the whole thing or just i'm gonna re- i'm gonna read the whole thing for us and then we'll walk our way through it okay verse okay, kind good. of verse by verse section by section so deuteronomy 33 verses 1 to 17 this is the blessing with which moses the man of god blessed the people of israel before his death he said The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Thus, the Lord became king in Jeshurun. When the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together, Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into into his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. 
They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed blessed by the Lord be his land, with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 through 17, the first part of Moses's benediction, his valediction. So, Pastor Shea, uh, talk briefly, if you, if you have anything, on that very first verse, just the, the introduction, the narrative introduction to the song, or the blessing, the poem. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. Any any thoughts on just the way that it's introduced here? Well, it's just it gives the tone because the word blessing is is used twice uh, this is the, uh, the the substantive the noun blessing and he blessed the people of the of israel before his death so it's giving the tone very very clearly Certainly. um introduction yeah. to the valediction benediction how do you like that you can have fun with those words <laughs> so yeah. the, the one one thing there in that first verse that i i know some pointed out is that perhaps the verse and the way it's written calling Moses the man of God here is, is perhaps an indication that that this part of Deuteronomy was added later by an editor because we are dealing with things that Moses said at the very end of his life, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. chapter 34 where you have the account mm-hmm. of his death. It would make sense that someone other than Moses is writing this down at this point, just as, as a, a brief aside. So, But these are the words of Moses that we are hearing recorded for us, even if he's not the one that physically wrote them down. So yeah. it, in verse two, then we come into, well, on, oh, go ahead. Sure. On that. I, um, yeah, I, that's possible. I, I am, my Hebrew is about as rusty as the gate in my backyard. But on the other hand, uh, we, we know what it's like. We use the third person from time to time. Sure. It's not very uh, the Apostle John is notorious, you know, not notorious, but for that, you know, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, who would that be? Oh, that would be me. Right. OK. So is it is it possible that somebody else added it on there? Sure. It could have been <laughs> most likely candidate, I would say, would be Joshua. Sure. You know, who then was commissioned as the leader of Israel. But on, on the other hand, I don't think it's a done deal that that it wasn't Moses that wrote these things. Sure. Remember, he. He did speak to God face to face, unlike all the rest of us schmucks who who uh, couldn't do that, uh, and, and was in the presence of the Lord. In fact, his face. Lord. So, so, I don't know. I, yeah, uh, ultimately, we don't know exactly. That's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, speaking it's... in the third person is not the weirdest thing we'd ever heard. Right, and it's less about, I think, the name Moses showing up, because the name Moses has shown up in narrative like this and other places in Deuteronomy, but rather it's the ascription, Moses, the man of God, which is is something that's a little new. And and that's why perhaps 
this could have been added by or recorded by someone other than Moses. But as you said, we can't yeah. know that for sure. And ultimately, this is the word of God that we're dealing with, and, and that's what's most yeah. important to keep in mind. So momentary yeah, comment. It, let's let's dig into the text of the, the valediction. Right. So take us into the... I, I think you can tell me the sections if you want. I, I was thinking verses two through five serve as an introduction, and then from there on out, it's, it seems to make sense to take it tribe by tribe. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, verses one through five is an introduction. Now, in verse two, he mentions three different places: uh, Sinai, Seir, and Paran. I, I just looked those up, and I thought, okay, why did he choose those? Well, Sinai was the mountain in the what we call the Sinai Peninsula now. Uh, Seir is a mountain in Edom, which is the land of Esau. Am I getting that right? There are times when I confuse these. Yeah, Edom was a um, Edom was a um, to the east of Israel, and so Seir can refer to the land of Seir, the people of Seir, or the general area. It's way up there, though. It's not really close to Sinai. Paran, however, is a wilderness on the northeast side of northeast of Mount Sinai, on the eastern coast of the Sinai Peninsula. So what is Moses saying here? He's a, a, I guess we've all seen, you know, he says, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned upon, and dawned from Seir upon us. I I um, didn't grow up with mountains around me, but I, I do remember visiting uh, Colorado one time and seeing a dawn. I, I forget where we were exactly, but when you see the the, the mountains pink up. They they turn a rose color as the sun. It's it's a stunning sight. You, how's that for imagery? When, when the Lord's word and His presence shines upon the people, it is or is this some sort of a? It, the Lord has appeared from sea to shining sea, from you know, Maine to San Diego, Puget Sound to Miami, or how did Woody Guthrie put in his song? From the Gulf Spring Gulf Spring waters to the New, uh, New York Island to the I forget. Doesn't matter. The point. She to shining. And uh, see, there's, it's funny. There's a lot here in in verse two. But he also says the thousands, tens thousands of holy ones. And as I was trying, I could not quite get my head around. Is he speaking of the holy ones being the Israelites? Or is he speaking of the holy ones of the angels? You know, there's uh, it, it, with fire in his right hand. This is the promised land they're about to mention, the land blessed by God. Is this the promised land then, or are we jumping ahead? Is this a, a preview of, I, I'm sure it is a preview of, of the promised land of heaven, too. Yeah. Uh, in Revelation 5, 11 through 14, there's that wonderful vision that John the Divine had. Thousands upon thousands, you know, and uh, a vision of, of all the, the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven uh, Isaiah 6, too, when Isaiah had his vision, he referred to seraphs, and a seraph is a burning one. Fire is mentioned there. There was fire in the burning bush on Mount Horeb with with uh, Moses, and there was also fire um, on Mount Sinai. In fact, there's a lot of other stuff, too. There was earthquake and thunder and lightning, and but but definitely, definitely fire, the presence of God. So this, uh, I, I guess my point is that the, the holy ones appearing, this is the presence of God, flaming fire at his right hand. Mm. Yeah, thousands of holy ones. Israelites or angels? Maybe maybe both, you know. I, I'm not saying that people are the same as angels, they're not. Yeah, you know, that old myth that 
people become angels when they die. Come on, let's read the scriptures on that. But but I, I think there's a it's it, it, just this little section and little verse two here, flaming fire, the tens of thousands of holy ones. I, I thought of Revelation five and of Isaiah six, too. And then, yeah, uh, let, well, I, if at, I can briefly, I, I think, I mean, when it, you know, he came from the from the tens of thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the connections that you're making to the holy angels and the scene from Isaiah six, that makes a lot of sense to me, particularly then when you look at verse five and it says the Lord became king. And there specifically you have the heads of the people being gathered, all the tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems as I mean, the, maybe the, the image is the Lord as heavenly warrior and heavenly king with his heavenly army comes down to gather his people here then that would be yep. israel that that seems to be the the image that's yep. that's running and if and and just as i'm listening to you talk the the picture in my mind is just fantastic that moses is drawing but what's yeah. what's remarkable is that in verse 3 this this mighty warrior who who's coming with a flaming army he's doing so because he loves his people that's that's quite the comfort that's that's the next point I wanted to make, and yeah, in verse three, yes, uh, you're reading from the ESV. I can see. I yes, am. he loved people, all his holy ones who were in his hand. Well, he loves his angels too, so they they followed in your steps. He loved his holy people. That I think the, that Hebrew verb is ahav, if I'm not mistaken. Don't <laughs> my Hebrew is really rusty, but <laughs> but he loved his holy people. It's a very simple statement. He guided them. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light upon my path. It's a very simple, simple, comforting verse, that Psalm 119, 105. But not only does he do it for individuals, he did it for the, he did it for all his people throughout all the ages of the earth. And I, that, that uh, uh, abiding covenant love, that, the, the, well, I don't know do too much on Hebrew, mainly because my Hebrew is pretty dreadful, but I think the word is chesed, you know, that yeah. in, in uh, um, um, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The word mercy is that word that it, it just mercy isn't even a, that, as I understand it, not that great of a translation. Neither is love. It's more like abiding, powerful, divine, everlasting love that nobody on this earth can produce he loved them loved them very not because they were so obedient he loved them despite their their cantankerousness and and then um if i could jump ahead to verse four well let's before we before we go there pastor shea we do need to take a break and since since we're about to transition to verse four that's a good place to do so let's take that break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfu we're looking at deuteronomy 33 with pastor bernie shea we'll be right back please stick around Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, 
A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 5th. We're studying Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor Bernie Shea. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dimebox, Texas. Pastor Shea, prior to the break, we were right in the middle of a verse transition. You were about to jump into verse 4, which says, When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Tell us what we should learn. Okay. Give the moral, ceremonial, and civil law. Moral law, Ten Commandments, ceremonial, the, the sacrifice, and so on. The civil law is, civil law is, you know, how to treat one another in the town and so on and so forth. Well, to this day, Jews celebrate. In fact, they put on a huge street dance um, celebrating the gift of the law. Uh, of course, that law um, points toward Christ. But uh, and I, I think that's important to remember this. This law was just the 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 school teacher to lead us toward Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. More on that later. But in verse 5, um, Yahweh becomes the king in Jeshurun. Now, that is an extremely unusual uh, name for Israel. It's, it's used here. It's used in verse 26, uh, here in, and uh, back in 32, verse 15. And then also, the only other point is Isaiah 44, 2. Why so rarely? I, who knows? Uh, means the upright one, or possibly in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, maybe the beloved one, but the upright one, you know, the one who obeys, and the, the beloved one. But this is a reminder of just who the king of Israel is, and that is the Lord God, the Lord God of hosts. Um, interestingly enough, the, um, the, the that description of the Lord as is, is king in 1 Samuel 8, um, the people said, you know, your sons aren't as good as you are, Samuel. So how, how, uh, how about we get a king? The, the Joneses got a king, or, you know, down the, across the Jordan River. How, how about we get a king? And, and the Lord says to them, well, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And they, they did want to keep up with the Joneses. In fact, you can read that in 1 Samuel 8, verse 20. Now, the requirements for a king were given back in Deuteronomy 17. I, apparently you went over that. And this is, yeah. this is kind of funny in a sad sort of a way because uh, the requirements were, uh, you must be an Israelite. Okay, well, that's a no-brainer. Uh, must not have too many horses lest they lest he want to return to Egypt. I don't see the connection there, but, you know, I wasn't there. He must not have too many wives, and he must be faithful to the Lord. Now, the, the sad part here is that Solomon had uh, a, a gazillion horses uh, almost as many wives, and through those wives, he became unfaithful to the Lord. So I, the Lord said, you know, I'm going to warn you way ahead of time, and don't come crying to me when he leads you away. But, uh, you know, well, 430 years had passed, and uh, Jacob is long dead and so on, but what has changed? Now, let's, that's the introduction. Uh Let's go to the first son of Jacob, Reuben. All right, so we're in verse verse 6. Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. Yeah, have you ever heard the expression, um, uh, being damned by faint praise? It's like, you know, you, come up, you put on a play at the high school, you know, and what would you think? 
Somebody says, oh, it was nice. Is that what do you mean? Yeah, it was nice. And they turn and walk away, you know. Well, wait a minute. I mean, here's Ruben. He's the firstborn. He gets he gets two short sentences. I mean, that's it. Let Ruben. Well, let's remember here back in Genesis 49, Reuben really got trashed. And it's because he was the firstborn. He should have had precedence. He even tried to save Joseph from the other brothers when Joseph got beat up, thrown into the pit. But Reuben defiled his father's marriage bed. Well, his father's bed by committing incense, incest, excuse me, with Bilhah, uh, his father's concubine. And um, in Genesis 49, there's a tremendous amount of you, you bad boy, you shouldn't have done that. But here, yes, is it a curse here? No, it's a blessing. The guy says, oh, you know, you're going to, Reuben, you're lucky to be allowed to live. Um, and I, I just, I, I am puzzled and I am curious. How is it that almost 500 years pass and there's still that animosity? It seems to me that there's this animosity toward Reuben, the person and, of course, his tribe, right? Um, have you ever read, um, Pastor Apple, have you ever read the, the Chronicles of Narnia? I have. Yeah. One of the books in there is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And um, our heroes visit an island where the leader of the island is a, uh, a man who has been exiled there. And he was a pretty smart guy, and he, but he did something dreadful. And I, I need to look this up again, but I have a vivid memory of him. Uh, being on this island, sort of being in charge of some people who are not real blessed with common sense. But he said, well, you know, that's about as much as I can expect after what I did. Mm. I thought of Reuben with this, you know, I, you know, he was, he was allowed to live, but he had to go live on an island somewhere. <laughs> so I, I just thought it was kind of an interesting parallel. We can't say much more about it because we don't know a lot more. Sure. Reuben to live but not a whole lot more um that's right yeah reuben reuben gets yeah. a, a short blessing it's it's perhaps surprising because he is the firstborn although as you mentioned the sins in the father's background reuben's background then it's like the the children don't fall or the apple doesn't fall fall far from the tree far. the the children yeah. often you know i mean follow in those steps so the blessing yeah. and it i you know i think it's a I, we should understand it as a blessing that introductory verse but it, it's not a blessing of great glory and, and perhaps that's what's surprising right. now next comes judah so tell us about right. judah he's he's pretty short too here in verse 7 that's correct he only gets one verse now back in genesis 49 he gets all kinds of stuff we're always interested in judah since from him is the human lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis 49, it's five verses. We read, among other things, and we don't have time to go into it now, but the scepter will not depart from Judah until it comes to whom it belongs, right? The scepter, what's the scepter a symbol of? Of kingship, of authority, of ruling. And here in verse seven, it's it's short one, but but it's there. Uh, bring him in, the voice of Judah, bring him into his people. Okay. Is that a reference? A, kind of a, uh, what's more, a veiled reference or or a quiet or short reference to that scepter? Right? I think it is messianic. 
bring him into his people. It's short, but um, he will contend against his adversaries too. Mm. Okay, so so perhaps yep. in perhaps in Judah, a reference to the the Messiah who will come. It's it, it is perhaps again. This is the one that I think is is a little more surprising even than Reuben, that Judah's oh. blessing doesn't get something a little more directly. You know, messianic like you had in Genesis yeah. forty nine. It, it's it's yeah. striking in that it's it's shorter given again the prominence that the tribe of Judah plays in the line of Christ and even just in the history of of the Old Testament. That it's it's short here, but again, this is what Moses speaks in yeah. in verses eight and following. Then we get a a longer one. Well, hold on, one more thing before we leave Judah behind, yeah. Pastor Shea. Yeah. Is that I, sure. I've I noticed, and of course we didn't get everything in our text today. We're going to pick up the rest tomorrow, but the the tribe right. of Simeon is not named, and and I was some that. some come and maybe so I don't know. If, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it oh, I well, I well, well so yeah. what I what I've heard or what I, my understanding that that many commentators suggest is that Simeon is not named, but they are included within the tribe of Judah, which. Historically speaking, their their territory is right there with Judah's, and so per- perhaps this is where Simeon gets included, is is in the blessing of Judah. Hmm. Hmm. And when you I, when you look at a map of the the tribes of Israel, yeah. Simeon is quite literally inside the tribe of Judah. So perhaps that's that's why oh. Simeon is omitted. I, that's that's possible. I, I will tell you this: in Genesis forty nine, uh, Levi is joined with Simeon. Ah. And I'll tell you what, they are both condemned in no uncertain terms, mainly due, and these are the words, I, I don't have time to go complete with the text, due to fierce anger, cruel wrath, and thus, hence, they will be divided and scattered. Okay, so Levi really, really catches it. <laughs> I, why? Well, maybe just, it's just the kind of guy he was. And remember, this is Jacob talking to directly to his 12 sons. So, uh, whom he knew. well, what yeah. does what then does Moses have to say to Levi in verses 8 through 11 of our text? This is a, a longer section. You, you bet it is. Yeah, it's 8, 9, 10, 11, four verses. You know. Well, he, first of all, he says, give him the Urim and the Thummim. Now, <laughs> you could you'd be here all night on this one. This is one of those obscure Old Testament references. You can, they're, they're, a number of references to it, Urim and Thummim seem to be some sort of instruments with which one can divine the, the will of God. Related to the ephod, or ephod, E-P-H-O-D, uh, Numbers 27-21 speaks of this Urim and Thummim as being part of the equipment that the high priest would would um, would wear. And they're, they're obscure. Here's, here's another Old Testament reference. Um, in the book of Psalms, every once in a while between the verses, you have the word Selah. In fact, one of the people at Trinity asked me, hey, pastor, what does that mean, Selah? He says, you know, and I, I, I said, we're, we're not ultimately certain. It probably means break or inter- uh, pause, perhaps for music, but we're, we're not sure exactly. But the Urim and Thummim seem to be related to the ephod which is worn by the priest. In fact, in 1 Samuel 23, uh, David's intelligence seeking uh, is by this means of the ephod while on the run from Saul. So um, if, if you're given the Urim and Thummim, you, you're 
you're leading in the interpretation and the explanation of God's will. And as we know, too, the Levites were the priests in, in, and they were not given land, by the way. Um, I can't help it. <laughs> I don't know about Simeon. I don't know why he's not mentioned in there with along with Levi or Judah, for that matter. But uh, giving the Urim and Thummim, and, and that's that symbol of authority, authority because of teaching and explaining the will of God to people. Um, by the way, have you ever heard uh, the Mormons using, uh, they say that Joseph Smith, their prophet back in the 1830s or 40s, was given Urim and Thummim as a pair of spectacles to decipher and translate the so-called golden plates. This is up at uh, near uh, Palmyra, New York. I, I yeah, think I have heard that, and uh, yeah. we can simply say that he didn't and move well, on. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> I, I quite agree with you, but it, it's not unusual with Mormons to pick something obscure. In fact, the First Corinthians 59, baptism for the dead, when Paul mentions that in that wonderful resurrection chapter, They've kind of latched on that, and they baptize for the dead. But okay, so the 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 authority of teaching comes in with with there. And I, I uh, yeah, let me let me mention also that when Masa and Meribah are given references, that describes an episode when the people disobeyed, and both Moses and Aaron failed to obey the Lord's orders explicitly. They struck the rock rather than spoke to it. And um, it's, it's not a happy chapter. It's not a condemnation. It's still a blessing. But, um, but then another uh, um, chapter is referred to another event rather. And that's Exodus 32. When Aaron, you know, hero of Israel made the golden calf, Everybody else, everybody got up, had a party, and Moses comes down the mountain, shows his anger, breaks the tablets, says, who's with me? Who was with him? Well, the Levites were. They strapped on swords, and they went through killing people. And the reference there is, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children. Okay, why did he do that? Because the other people were disobeying, and it was time to do that. That. It's not a pretty chapter. It's not a pretty story, but there it is. They observed your word and kept your covenant. Only the Levites there. And it's likely because of that that they were rewarded with the, the, the priesthood. Um, so these Levites, verse 10, they'll be, they'll be teachers, instructors, and priests in Israel. And in verse 11, here is a benediction within the benediction. Levi's handiwork is to be blessed as well as his being, and his enemies are to be crushed. So it's like Levi gets a double benediction where from Moses, whereas in uh, from Jacob, he sort of gets a, a double condemnation. Okay. And I guess that I'm I, I just well, just briefly, I mean, it, it, yeah. I'm reminded that Moses comes from the tribe of Levi. And yeah. so, it, you know, yeah. it makes sense that he would have a few yeah. more words to say just from a you know, very practical perspective, in addition to the things you've reminded us that are here about the tribe of Levi and their role there at the Golden Calf incident, as yep. well as their, their role as, as teachers. Let's move into to Benjamin in verse 12. Right. He just gets one verse. Right. He's, he's Okay, Genesis 49, Benjamin. <clears throat> it's a nice little reference because Benjamin and Joseph were full brothers, 
and they were sons of the favored wife, Rachel. Full sibling, he's depicted though as a ravenous wolf who in the morning devours prey and in the evening divides his spoil. Here he's shown as the beloved of the Lord and the Elion, the highest, the highest one, is carried between his shoulders. So it, it almost makes it sound like he's carrying the Lord God piggyback on his shoulders and therefore there's that, there's that uh, the high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. That's, that's what I was able to get out of that it sounds a little strange to us but um but again remember that benjamin uh was was full sibling with joseph and let's go right into joseph sure uh, go ahead verses 13 yeah. and following 13 14 15 16 17 it's a lot i'm i i guess uh i was concerned we wouldn't have enough time but we, we got 10 I minutes would, so we're great we're in great shape oh okay okay 10 minutes i didn't know i didn't know so Joseph, of course, when Jacob was dying, um, um, Joseph said, okay, guess what? Those two sons of yours born here in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to be counted as my sons. So that's one of the reasons that we get 12 tribes when we leave out the Levites because they were landless. They had towns, but they didn't have big land ownership. And you leave Joseph out, and so that adds up to 12 with Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, interestingly enough, when I counted up all the ones in in the cha- in chapter 33, I came up with 13 sons of Joseph because Joseph is mentioned. Ephraim and Manasseh are mentioned. There should be 14 if you're going to mention Levi, too. But for that, what, that strange reason, uh, Simeon's left out. Okay, so Genesis 49, Jacob. And we all know the coat of Mali colors or the beautifully sleeved robe, however the Hebrew goes. Here is some absolutely magnificent imagery. Joseph is a fruitful bough. He was the favored son. He's a fruitful bough by a spring. And then the metaphor changes uh, to a stalked animal or maybe a stalked person whom the archers, the bow and arrow guys, wound bitterly. We know that story. Joseph was probably kind of bratty. He knew that he was his father's favorite and uh, his brothers made him pay for it. You know, the dreams about the the uh, wheat stalks bowing down and the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And we all know that Joseph was his father's favorite. And and, and in, in chapter 49 of Genesis, he receives blessing upon his head. And here's a sentence I'd like to emphasize. He who was set apart from his brothers. And again, the, the brothers, including Reuben, even if Reuben had a sense that, yeah, he's a jerk, but we still shouldn't kill him. You know? um, he was set apart from his brothers. Why? To, to save many lives in Egypt. God sent me ahead of you into Egypt. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. But he was indeed set apart from his brothers. Uh, they sure didn't like it at the time, but uh, okay. Well, here in 33, first of all, there's a massive benediction with the yield of heaven and of the deep. And I'm pretty sure that is a reference to the sea. The, the choicest gifts of heaven above. What's that? The rain, the snow, and of the deep. Um, is that the deep blue sea? I'm not, uh, again, I need to work on my Hebrew. 
verse 14. The well, just if I can, just briefly, the, you know, the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep, it, it seems to me that, and that's beneath, like here we're thinking top to bottom, you know, and it's a, a poetic way of speaking, blessed by the Lord be, be his land with every single gift from top to bottom. Yeah, it's a, it's a poetic way of speaking of everything that, that God could bless the land with. Do so, O Lord. And the choicest fruits of the sun, the rich yield of the months, uh, choice fruits of the sun. Well, you got to have photosynthesis, don't you? <laughs> you get rain, you get photosynthesis. And the rich yield of the months, the seasonal gifts, the mountains and the hills give Joseph their best. You know, Moses is Moses is really pulling out of the stops here when he speaks of the blessings that come to Ephraim and Manasseh. The entire earth and its produce, I'm going up to verse 16, produce rest upon the head of Joseph, and here's an echo of Genesis 49, prince among his brothers. Jacob says he was set apart from his brothers. Moses says prince among his brothers, and including Ephraim and Mass in there. And then finally, in the last verse, and this this wraps it up here, there's a um, there's that, there's that a horn imagery. You know, a, a bull is is the one who inseminates the cow and who who causes the cow to reproduce. Bull is a sign of strength and, and majesty. Uh, the horn of strength, the horns of the altar, is a sign of manhood, a sign of a sign of power, a majestic creature. And not only that, he'll gore his opponents with horns. Because these are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they're the thousands of Manasseh, and uh, so it, it's just a. I, I know we're not at the end here. You, you'll tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow you'll have someone else doing wrapping it up there. But I just, I, I thought it was remarkable that both Jacob, well, not remarkable that Jacob did because he was his favorite son anyway. He thought he consigned him to the grave, and then he gets to see him again, and. Um, but here also Moses says, yeah, Ephraim and Manasseh slash Joseph, mm. what magnificent gifts they'll give. Right. And Oh, one other thing, there, there was a word in here that's not a, I remember learning it, uh, rest on the, uh, yeah, may these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. Well, pate is just another word for top of your head or scalp. Very good. Pate. Pate. I remember there's a line in Shakespeare a periwig painted, uh, periwig painted uh, fool, or something like that, referring to a lawyer. It's just, it was more Shakespeare's insult. But yeah, paid is. So there, there. I, I find myself at times when you find this word that fits poetically, but nobody knows what it means. It's a good idea. To, <laughs> good idea to define it. So. No, I, I'm I'm glad you did because I. I... Can imagine my own children asking me, "Dad, what is pate?" And so I'm glad to know what a what a pate is. That is not a very common yeah. English word. But before before we leave uh, Benjamin behind, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned that the high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. the yeah. The imagery yeah. there could be referring to Jerusalem. the The idea of the slopes of the mountains and the hills that would have been in and around Jerusalem. And and so that which is in the territory of Benjamin, oh, okay. that perhaps okay. that's the imagery that's being conveyed there, which would would make good sense with what it says about the God dwelling there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't find that in any of the things. But that's. Uh, I'm. Oh my goodness. That's great. Yeah. That could very well be. Um, 
So, Pastor Shea, we, we've got about yep. about three minutes here left on the morning, yep. and and some of you know, I mean, you've provided great detail for us, some some good historical background. Thinking through, sure. you know, this section and the chapter as a whole, how do yep. how does this text, this valediction and benediction from Moses, how does it point us to Christ? Again, with about three minutes left to help us wrap it up, how how do we right. see Christ in this text? Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about today, if I were to preach on this, what would I say? I would say, look at how God provided for the sons of Jacob, you know, <laughs> belly acres that they were. How did he provide for the tribes of Israel, named for the sons of Jacob, belly acres and unfaithful people though they were. Look what he did for them. Look what he, he went out of his way to provide for them. And chief among them, he gave them the gift of, of, of the son of God coming from the tribe of Judah, that no matter what happens, we do, we're, we're extremely wealthy people, even if we're just average Joes getting along here, we have enough to eat, even when we don't have enough to eat, even when we have a nasty summer like we had in Texas, you know, and we, we are still, we are still blessed by God. And even if we do lose our health, good weather we still have the inheritance of of the love of god in christ because that's the ultimate yeah and i i thought to myself boy if i were to preach on this this was a i i did think about that so i would say the blessings of god are more abundant than we can possibly imagine and let's just look at a few of these things the the produce of the land um the peace in which we live all these things come from the hand of the Lord. He provided for his people then, and he's providing for us now because we because we're living in the time when uh, we're living in a time when we can look forward to the promised land of heaven. I think we have to remember that do a link from the Garden of Eden to the promised land of Israel and the promised land of heaven and and realize that all of those other things were what one was spoiled. The other was not made perfect, but we're not going to be able to wreck the promised land of heaven. We promised that, promised that by our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived and died and gave himself for us. So, Pastor, Pastor Bernie Shea is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dimebox, Texas, helping us today with Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Shea, thanks for being our guest today. Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks. God bless, Pastor Apple. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy or our upcoming series in the book of Joshua, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.